where I play, as long as I go number one in the draft. From the Erie Otters, Connor McDavid. From the London Knights, Mitch Marner. From the Western Hockey League's Brandon Wheat Kings, Nolan Patrick. This is Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. He checks an enormous amount of boxes. Nobody in this draft did more with less. I absolutely love him. It's not his skills that anybody's concerned about. It's that playing attitude. And quite frankly, it's really poor. Speeding towards the future of the NHL. From the U.S. Development Program, Jacob Truba. From Faryastad of the Swedish Elite League, Jonas Brodin. From the Boston U Terriers, Brady Kachuk. He could play in the NHL next year. He's one of those guys. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there and welcome to another episode of Tracking the Draft. This is season three, episode number 14. And it is with Craig Button, the director of uh, scouting for TSN, will be along very shortly. He is also uh, the head of hockey when it comes to high-level scouting and the director of scouting for Duckman's Domination of Ultimate Fantasy Hockey League, a franchise with a very bright future. You can get uh, the jersey right there. You can order your very own. This is where the stars of tomorrow are discovered and discussed. And uh, we usually do things uh, in in one particular way where we have a top shelf player, a guy in Craig's top 40, then a next wave player, a guy outside of that. And then we do a time machine. We take a look back on last year's draft. But today we're doing something totally different. We are doing scouting tips and story time with Craig, meaning you get to ask the questions instead of me. And we've got a, about 15 or a, a dozen questions lined up for Craig, who will join us in just a second. So really excited to dive into the past and get you some knowledge as well when it comes to scouting. Of course, Craig joins us on the UFHL hotline. Check it out, uffsports.com where you can register as a scout. You can check out any of the franchises that are for sale. You can apply as a GM. You can get in the game where you own the game. But scouting is huge. And you, if you think you're a pretty decent scout, you just have to register for $20 worth of score coin, or $25 worth of score coin. And then each player on the open market is $20 worth of score coin. Or you can get in on some of the auctions as well. You can trade with your fellow scouts. You can buy players. There's a whole lot going on, and a whole lot going on with Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network. That's where this show is proudly broadcast on, watching it on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe, hit that like button, leave us a review. we got all kinds of shows on this channel. we got all kinds of shows on Ultimate Fantasy Sports Twitch channel, which goes live. I'll be live there later on today, depending on when you're listening to it, Friday uh, or April 1st. Not an April Fool's Day joke. We'll be doing Inside UFLB. So check out our Twitch channel and Ultimate Fantasy Sports. And if you want these in podcast audio format, it's simple. Just search wherever you find your favorite podcasts for Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network, and you can get it in the audio format only. If you'd like to get your show on UFSN, you can do so. UFSN at UFFSports.com. If you're watching, uh, the email is right there on the screen. But without further ado, Let's bring him in for story time and scouting tips, Mr. Craig Button. Here he is. 
the director of scouting for TSN, former GM of the Calgary Flames, and a Stanley Cup champion with the Dallas Stars. Plus, he's a sharp-dressed man with a heart of gold and a passion to match it. Craig Button. All right, Craig, this is one of my most favorite things that we get to do and that, that I'm so privileged to be able to get you to participate in because not everybody is as open and gives away their secrets, etc. Um, and we will try not to give away all of Duckman's domination secrets, but this is story time and scouting tips. And uh, I love that you do this. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think you live by, not just in the scouting world, but in life is paying it forward. You know, somebody helped you along the way you can help a lot of other people. I, I think that's just a great model to live by no matter what your job is. Well, uh, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Dean. And, 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 you know, it's funny. I remember years ago being at a, at, at a funeral and I was sitting next to Jerry Melnick, who, who has since passed away a long time, NHL player, NHL executive, coach, scout, long time with the Flyers. And we're sitting next to each other and he said to me, he goes, geez, he goes, it's really nice to hear all these uh, wonderful things about uh, uh, this person after they pass away. He goes, but Craig, we really should tell people how we feel about them, you know, why they're living. Uh, and I said, it's such a good point. And, you know, it, and, and this is where it brings me, it brings me back, you know, it's not full circle, but it's just part of the circle is that Les Jackson, I mean, uh, you know, I started with the Minnesota North Stars in 1988. I didn't get to say, "Oh, Les Jackson, what, what a one." That's who I want to go work with, right? I, you know, he he he'd been an assistant coach with Lauren Henning. He'd moved into scouting. I didn't know. I didn't know him. But boy, you talk about getting lucky. You talk about having somebody that could not only teach you, but was patient with you, that uh, understood you, and you know, and guided you without judging you. You know, in terms of saying, like, you know, not getting his back up. And, you know, I, I, I try to say this to Les all the time or as much as I can, is that, like, you know, I tell everybody else how instrumental Les was in, in helping me understand the process of scouting and, and, and how he treated people and how he helped people be better. He, he just has this wonderful demeanor. And, like, again, like, we need we, – we, we, so many of my so many of my beginnings and so much of the base of what I believe in has been because of the teachings and the philosophies and the guidance of one Les Jackson and you know just so lucky at times that we don't even realize how people enter our lives but for them to be present in our lives and to never exit our lives boy do I feel lucky every single day yeah, uh, I, I agree. Uh, there's there's key people in our lives uh, that uh, certainly made a difference. And you always wonder about those sliding doors and what happens if you would have never met them. And uh, it's, it's great to have those people in our lives. And it's great for you to be able to take the time to answer some questions from the scouting community and the viewing community. And the first one up comes from Chris. And he says, who are some players drafted a bit higher than expected and may not have shown high-end skill, but a few years later you had to 
to do a double or triple check on your notes to see if there's the same player from their draft. And, you know, sometimes we, you and I talk about this, and thank you very much to Chris for that question. We talk about, you know, a guy being a complimentary player, and it's not so much that their style has changed or anything has changed, but maybe they've just uh, developed or, or matured a little bit. And, you know, I'm sure over a long scouting career, uh, you've had players that, you know, maybe weren't drafted as high. Well, of course they weren't drafted as high, and scouting isn't an exact science, but turned out much better. Well, you, you know, one of the one of the one of the players that really comes to mind, and it was a very it, it was a different time, and you know, uh, it, it was Peter Forsberg, and, and and you might go, what Peter Forsberg? Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, he was a great player. Yes, he was a great player, and and in his draft year, though, he he wasn't a well known player, and and I'll tell you what ended up happening, and 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 we, it's something you learn from. It was 1991. I had seen Peter play the year before as an underage. I'd seen him and Marcus Naslin play in international tournaments as underages. So he had a, I had a pretty good idea that these were two pretty good players. There was another player in that group, Nicholas Sunblad, who was a first-round draft pick to uh, the Calgary Flames. Exact same draft, the, the 91 draft. Anyway, carry on with the story. 1991, they, they, they had what they called the Four Nations Tournament, which occurred in February of 91. It also happened to coincide at the same time with the uh, uh, with the uh, uh, Kuwait uh, with the Iraqi invasion into a Kuwait, the Gulf War, and there was a lot of people that didn't uh, feel comfortable traveling over to Europe at that time. I did. The tournament was in Sweden. Went to went to Sweden. I tell you, it was pretty obvious how good Peter Forsberg was. I mean, he was that good. He was that dominant, and and he was fierce. But he goes, and so I come back, and I'm talking about the, the Peter. We got better see this guy. Blah 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 blah. And I go, and uh, uh, no, I, I'd seen him at Christmas as well, and then I'd followed it up. And so now I'm like, I, I got a, I got a lot of good viewings on Peter and Marcus at, at that time, and I'm and I'm just talking about we got to get over. It. So they had what they called the European Championships, which is a precursor to what is now the U18 Championships. I didn't go to the championship. It happened in April. And when our guys came back, Les was there. And they said, oh, geez, not so sure about this Forsberg. I was lucky because, you know, they respected me. They respected my opinion. But the questions they had about Peter were legitimate. And, and I got it. Right. So anyway, we're going through the, our draft ratings and everything. And, you know, I, I'm talking about it. And, and I, I remember one of our scouts said, he had to have been sick. There's no way you can see a guy play like you've seen him and describe the way and he wasn't sick. I said, well, I don't know. Anyway, so we're going through it and we were picking eighth that year in Minnesota and we're, we're trying to figure out that nah, Forsberg, believe it or not, we would have not taken Peter Forsberg at eight if he was there. Anyway, he ends up getting drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers at six. Well, it kind of, because we'd had Bob Clark was our manager. We'd had some former scouts that had been with Philadelphia that were kind of like surprised and like really like, oh, my God, like the, the like it was almost like because the Flyers took him, there was almost a sense of respect that like, oh, they're good. Craig must have known what he was talking about. Well, <laughs> you can only go by what you believe. Right. And uh, after the fact, I'm going back to Jerry Melnick. Jerry Melnick was the chief scout. Jerry Melnick said to me, he goes, Inga Hammerstrom, longtime NHL player, longtime scout, said, uh, he goes, you got to come and see this guy. 
He said, after that Four Nations tournament, he said they sat on Forsberg in Sweden and, and watched him in his league right, right to the end. And he said the best thing that happened for us is he didn't play very well at that European Championships. There was a lot of questioning about Peter Forsberg. And then he didn't come over to the NHL right away. He stayed. He played in the 1994 Olympics in Lillehammer before coming over to the NHL. We know how it all ended. But I can tell you what, that's an example of a player to me that like was drafted high. A lot of people were skeptical. A lot, a lot of people were skeptical. And listen, there was not a team in the league that wouldn't have loved to have had Eric, uh, had Peter Forsberg on the team. And you talk about, you know, an integral part of the Eric Lindros trade, not only an integral part of the, he, he became instrumental for the Colorado Avalanche establishing themselves as one of the marquee franchises in the NHL, along with Joe Sackick and Adam Foote, the acquisition of, of Patrick Waugh. But you think about Peter Forsberg, it wasn't the case when he was drafted sixth overall. Yeah, and it and it's so fascinating to hear the kind of the the thoughts behind those different players, and you know the the NHL is littered with guys drafted in the fourth, fifth, third, seventh round, and and beyond that went on to Hall of Fame careers. I mean, it's just it's it's a matter of development, as we talk about. Um, sometimes you're drafted high and you don't get developed, and sometimes you're drafted low and you do get developed, or you find that right situation. Well, and again, we talk about patience and. You know, uh, understanding what 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 the path is for, for for players, and you know, I go back to Les, and you know, Les always talked about you know you know what what their potential is. Let's help them get there. They don't have to get there tomorrow just because they're a first round draft pick. Most people will not recall this. The first first the first first overall pick to not start in the NHL was Mike Badano was drafted mm. in 1988 and went back to Prince Albert. And and that was unheard of. Like, you know, I mean, one of the good, you know, I, I know a lot of people chalked it up to uh, uh, a contract and everything. In fact, Trevor Linden is famous for saying, my goal wasn't to sign an NHL contract, it was to play in the NHL. Now, of course, Mike and Trevor were the headliners for that 1988 draft, and Mike went first and Trevor went second. So, you know, there's a little uh, gamesmanship there. Right, but like Mike went back to junior because Jack Ferrero, the new general manager in Minnesota, just felt that this was best. The team wasn't great in Minnesota. Let's let him go back. Let, you know, it, it, if we can use the contract as something that you know became a, 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 a dividing point, that's okay. He said it's going to best serve Mike to go back to junior. Well, I would suggest that. <laughs> uh, Mike Medano going back to junior, I think the record shows that uh, nothing was going to hurt him. And certainly you could argue that it even helped him. And, you know, again, back to Les Jackson, you know, Les Jackson's wise words, his patience, his understanding. And make no mistake about it, Les had the courage. He, no, didn't have. He has the courage of his convictions. He's got, he's got strong beliefs on what makes a good player, on how you help a player develop. And, you, you know, but understanding and, 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 and working with players and working with people. It's a real, it's, it's one of the, I mean, when I talk about less and I talk about a hallmark of less, it's a golden hallmark of less. Uh, no doubt. Uh, that is terrific. All right. This is from Nick and uh, uh, he's uh, the GM of the outlaws in the UFHL. And he says in real life uh, in the NHL, uh, loads of focus on skill in the draft. Uh, we can all agree skill is important uh, to, to, but looking to, to the built-in UFHL, we need to look at players who hit all series of categories. 
Who are some players who have grit potential to hit some of the tougher categories in UFHL in this draft class? Perhaps some skill mixed in. Uh, from last year, a guy like Zachary Lahuru jumps to mind. So you, you know the categories. Obviously, we have the goals and assists. Um, we have penalty minutes, which I wish we would switch to time on ice. We have plus minus, which I don't think I'm going to win that battle and get rid of. But takeaways, uh, you know, giveaways are a negative. Uh, hits, shots on goal. Uh, things like that that the, the multi-category guy I, I think you would call that guy a well-rounded player who are some of the guys you look at in this year's draft Craig well I see that he's got Zachary Leheru there Nick and uh, I love Zachary Leheru like he's unbelievable another player that fits that bill is Zachary Bolduc who was drafted by the St. Louis Blues in the first round but let, let, let's look at this year's draft and 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 I really think you can start right at the top and it, it's no secret but Shane Wright is that well-rounded player Shane Wright, I, I, like I, I'll be very surprised if Shane Wright gets 100 points. I'll be surprised if Shane Wright gets 90 points. But like Patrice Bergeron, when you start looking at all the different areas of the game, and it's no different in fantasy than it is in the NHL, you need players that can contribute and contribute in a significant way to critical areas of the game. That's Patrice Bergeron. That's Shane Wright. So that's easy to start at the top, right? I can go there. Uri Slavkovsky. You know, look at what he just did at, uh, for Slovakia at the Olympics. And we're talking about a young player that went in there and not only was named, uh, not only was part of the Slo uh, Slovak uh, uh, goal, uh, bronze medal winning team, but as time went on, all Craig Ramsey, the head coach, kept seeing was, I got to play him more. I got to play him more. Why did he think he had to keep playing him more? Because he could contribute in so many different ways. Takeaways, pushing people off the puck, creating scoring chances, you know, understanding that, like, how I'm going to gain the puck and hold the puck in the offensive zone. Those are all really important parts of success, not only in fantasy, but also in the NHL. So Slavkovsky definitely comes to mind. I think it's easy to look at the offensive players and, and, and their numbers and go, okay, yeah, well, that, well that, we, we know we'll get points out of them. But who are some of the other players, the players that really just make those good plays? Two defensemen in, in Gatineau, Tristan Luno and Noah Warren. They're very, very different players. Tristan, that puck's on his stick. I, I use this line all the time about Tristan. When he's out on the ice, I tell you what, the coach's heart rate goes down, their stress level goes down, their sense of comfort goes up because they just have such a control of the game. That they're going to get to a puck defensive zone. They're going to make the right play. You're going to get out of your zone. The offensive players are going to be happy because they can get go playing offense. And, you know, those are the elements. Intercepts, passes, completes passes into the uh, offensive zone on entries. Really good uh, in terms of defending and, and breaking up plays. So he's not going to be Kale McCarr, but he's going to be able to contribute in all those others. Noah Warren, a very different player, a big, rugged, physical type player who's going to separate you from the puck. He's going to take you on. He's going to deny you the zone. He's going to not let you into the slot area to get opportunities. And, you know, so and, and he's physical. He, he's going to deliver hits. You don't want guys to get penalties, but if you're going to get penalties by being physical and territorial, then Noah Warren's going to going to fit that bill. So. You, you, you know, I name I name four players uh, from from different parts of the draft, different positions in the draft, and 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 there's many others. But you know, when you when you watch these four players play, like I don't think there's like for me when I evaluate them, they're players. I always ask myself this question: Do I want them on my team? 
Do I want that player on my team? Now, there's players that you could, you know, I don't know if there's ever a hard no on that, but you just go, that's a player that I think can help you in so many different ways. Those four players I just named, you want them on your team in the UFHL, and I want them on my team in the NHL. Awesome stuff. Well, you kind of answered this one, but Sterling did send it in. What do you think Shane Wright's offensive ceiling will be? Can he be a 90- to 100-point guy in the NHL? I don't think, uh, you know, you make the comparison to Bergeron. I don't think Patrice Bergeron's ever, ever had 80 points in, in the NHL, but every single team wants him on their team, including Canada, to win games. He's going to the Hall of Fame. So so, so how about if I switch the question around? Do you want a Hall of Fame center? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, who would, uh, let me just ask you this, Dean. Who, who would say no? Nobody. If I just ask that, who wants a Hall of Fame center? Who wants a Hall of Fame number one center? Oh, I don't. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, we, we have enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, you, you know what? I, 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 I'll tell you a story one time if you want to get into the Scott Gomez story in the 1988 yes. draft. Yeah, it's a great story about having too many centers, but uh, you, you tell me when you want me to tell that story. Shane Wright, Patrice Bergeron, you know what? People say, are they franchise centers? Well, tell me how you how, how do you define franchise center? Is it Connor McDavid franchise? Is it uh, Sidney Crosby franchise? I understand what people are saying, but ask yourself this question. Where would the Boston Bruins franchise be without Patrice Bergeron? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'd love to hear the That's Gomez a, story. Give us the Gomez story. Okay, well then you 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 queued me up. 1988 draft. We won the President's Trophy that year, so we were picking late in the first round, if not the last pick in the first round. Anyway, it gets down to our pick, and we we, we liked Scott Gomez. We we had lots of time for Scott Gomez. Thought he was a really good creative center, and somebody else. But you know, through our uh, lack of wisdom, shall I say? <laughs> We outsmarted ourselves by thinking we had too many centers. Hmm. We had too many centers. We had enough centers. We didn't need another center. So we decided to explore trading back in the draft and getting two picks. And we did. We traded back with New Jersey. New Jersey traded up. And with that pick, they took Scott Gomez. It would be one thing if we didn't like Scott Gomez. And like That would be a whole different story. We liked Scott Gomez. <laughs> we talked ourselves out of Scott Gomez because we had enough centers, Dean. We had enough. The extension of this story is in the 2000 Stanley Cup final, we lost to the New Jersey Devils. Mm -hmm. Scott Gomez was in his rookie season that year. He won the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year and was part of that Stanley Cup winning team. I don't think the New Jersey Devils said they had enough centers. Just a little... Uh, just a little uh, story, a backstory on the NHL draft. That would never show up about a pick that you didn't make, right? Because people yeah. look at it and go, oh, look at who they picked or look who they did. You know, people, if you, unless you go and delve right into the draft, you wouldn't know. But that was our rationale. A player we liked. Yeah. We had enough centers. Sometimes we outsmart ourselves, Craig. Uh, even the smartest people can outsmart themselves or outthink themselves a, a little bit. I'll tell you what, I, I, I should be wearing a dunce cap if I tell that story. <laughs> You've made some terrific decisions in your career, so we all we all have misses in our lives, and you know what? That's how we get better. You know, the 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 smartest people, the most successful people in life, have failed at times and learn uh, from those mistakes. And this is an interesting question from Brent. It says, "How does a player get rid of a label like being a problem child or bad in the room? Are there guys who successfully did that?" And I, I'm going to preface this question on behalf of Brent and saying. 
I'm not sure everybody should believe everything they hear in their rumors. Sometimes people get labeled as a bad guy in the room and they're not. And sometimes bad rumors get started. So I'm prefacing the, the question with that one. I've been around the game a long time, Dean, and uh, I'm, I'm holding up my left hand. I'm not going to hold up my right hand, but my left hand has four fingers on it. Okay. I can tell you that th those four fingers are not even close to all occupied with players that were bad in the room or bad people. It, it just doesn't, it, it, it is so rare, but it becomes a narrative where people want to say that, right? And, you know, it, it's different to say, you know, he doesn't fit an area. I'll, I'll tell you a story. We, we traded for Joe Newendike. So we had Madonna, we had Newendike. We had David Gagne. David Gagne was a really, really, really good player. Really good player. But now we had Mike and Joe. So we knew we had a really good player in, in, in David. And, and, and we asked David, and David moved over to the wing because we didn't want to give up David's skills, and, his, and he was competitive, and he was hard, and whatnot, right? And we ended up, at the time, David was a center. He wasn't a winger, but he tried his, he tried his hardest to be a good winger and everything, and it just it wasn't working for our team, and it probably wasn't working for David. We ended up trading David uh, for Benoit Holt. Okay, mm. and I'll never forget it. Doug Jarvis said to us, said after we we were talking about the trade, then after we had made the trade, he said, David Gagne is a better player than Benoit Hogue, but Benoit Hogue is a better fit at left wing for our team than trying to force David over there. There was nothing Makes wrong sense. with Dave Gagne. Well, well, so, but here's what ends up happening. The reason I tell you that story, people loved after the fact to tell you, oh, like, that's a bad guy, or geez, uh, you know, s sometimes players don't fit. It doesn't mean they're not competitive. It doesn't mean they're not skilled. And it certainly doesn't mean that they're bad people. Because like I said, I have, I've met very, very few. It, like when I say few, I'm talking in single digits, not even filling up a hand of, of what you might consider to be a bad person. Okay, so I, I don't buy into that. Okay, that's number one. I'm going to go to one of the greatest goal scorers of all time to try to talk to this story about Brett. In the summer of 1998, this is after the fiasco at the draft by Craig Button saying we have too many centers and we're not <laughs> drafting Scott Gomez. So we're, we're in free agency and we're looking to try to add uh, a real top-end skilled player. We're looking at Brett Hall. We're looking at Brett Hall. Brett Hall, we think, is a player that can come in and fit on our team. So we, we, we discuss how our team can support him, how our team, uh, uh, how where he'll be used, who he'll play with. You know, everybody's involved. Ken Hitchcock, Doug Jarvis, everybody. We're all talking about. And so, like, his situation in St. Louis, where he was the guy, okay, was very different than what we were asking him to do to come in to be in, in, in Dallas. We asked him. We knew he was a top-notch player. We knew that he, he was the and, – and, and Brett's personality, you know, lended itself to – to criticism at times from different people. As, as we go along and as we, we ended up signing Brett, we had, we had a wonderful group of people uh, on our team, but I can't begin to tell you exhibition season, well, even after we signed him, exhibition season, early in the season, you'll never win with Brett Hall. That guy, I'll tell you what, people, and unsolicited would come up and tell Bob Gainey or Ken Hitchcock or Les Jackson or Craig Button or whoever, oh, you'll never win with that Brett Hall. You'll never win with Brett Hall. You'll never, like, yell, oh, that guy, good luck with him, right? It's funny, when he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal that following season in overtime, triple overtime, uh, not one person, and, and, and you know what? I, I could name names here. 
I could name names here. And I could name a lot of names here. Not one of them came back and said, geez, we were wrong about Brett. Yeah. I mean, it also, he scored 86 goals one year in the NHL. I mean, you, you're not going to get, like, I'm just saying that the, the, the rumors get kind of blown out of proportion when a guy gets that label. And there's very few people that actually know the, the true stories. But, 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 but like, again, like he's in St. Louis scoring 86 goals yeah. a year. We have a, we have a darn good team. We're coming out president's trophy. We ended up losing in the conference final. And, and then we're looking at unsolicited. People are telling us you, you'll never win with that guy. You can't win. I'm talking about people that, that knew him, people that thought they knew him, right? They didn't hesitate telling us that. Like I said, yeah. not one of those people. And I said, I can name a lot of names here. I'm not going to. Not one of them. Jeez. <laughs> you know, we were wrong about Brett Hall. Like, can you imagine people saying that, Dean? You can't win with Brett Hall? I, I've said this for, for forever and a day. I, I've heard it about Joe Thornton. I heard it about Patrick Marlowe. I heard it about Alexander Ovechkin in the day. I've heard it about so many players. You'll never win with that player. I'll take my chances on Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Alexander Ovechkin. I'll, get, I'll take my chances on Brett Hall. I'll take him. I'll take my chances. <laughs> yeah. Brett Hall won a World Cup. Like he did. He, it's not like he never won anything. And obviously a Stanley Cup uh, with you guys as well. So it's silly, Dean. It's silly. But let me tell you this. You know, some of the biggest backstabbers, like, are, are people that get, like, and everybody talks about hockey. Oh, how upfront and character. Some of the biggest backstabbers don't have a lot of character that are backstabbing these players, and they don't put their name to it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Craig joins us, and he puts his name on this show, and uh, courtesy of the UFHL Hotline. Scouting is a huge part of the platform, lifeblood of franchises in the UFHL. Any free agent, any prospect goes through a scout, so get in the game where you own the game. Put your scouting talent to great use. Become an independent scout, form a partnership with an existing franchise, and you can get more information on Twitter at the UFHL. Get in the game where you own the game. Okay, let's uh, have, I have a little... to say this right now. I have yep. to say this right now to everybody out at the on the UFHL uh, hotline and, and the, the people that own teams and scout. You can never have enough centers. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Always stock up on centers. Uh, okay. This is some uh, fun questions now. What junior or college arenas have the best atmosphere when it comes to crowd and arena from Jerry? And, you know, I've had the privilege of being in a lot of different junior rinks. And, you know, listen, I'm going to be partial and say the Keystone Center is a great crowd. Uh, the, the, the arena in Red Deer, especially during the, the 2001 Memorial Cup run, was amazing. Uh, but you've been in a lot more rinks and and some of the college rinks. I've, I've only been to uh, Ralph Engelstead, which is one of the best arenas in the world. College games have a much different atmosphere than junior games. But what are some arenas that you absolutely love going to? Yeah, I'm glad you you, you make it plural because it is about arenas, right? And you know, uh, you know, across the country, you know, when, when we take think about junior junior hockey rinks, right? I mean, first of all, those junior rinks represent communities. And those communities are so proud, not only of their of their junior team, but they are they are instrumental in helping these players 
come into a community, billeting them, they become part of their education, going to school and everything. So like, you know, the same, the, when we talk about the arenas, it's the people in the community that are supporting these teams and these players in such significant ways. So obviously when they're successful, it becomes a lot more exciting. I remember the Saskatoon Blades were playing the Kamloops Blazers in the Western Hockey League final a number of years back. And I remember talking to Lauren Mollican and I said, you know, one thing you need to be aware of when you go into Kamloops, I said, that arena rocks. And, and, and obviously this is coming off of all those successful teams they had. They're, they were winning all the time. It was great. And they pipe up the music, the fans get into it. I said, I'm only going to tell you this, Lauren. I said, if you call a timeout, take your team down the hallway. Because if you try to call a timeout and you try to talk on the bench, you got no chance. The players won't hear you. You won't even hear yourself. And that speaks to just the environment that the Kamloops created. Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie has, has this unbelievable history. You know, you go into that arena. They're doing a new arena now, but in the old arena, I mean, they would pack it in. And you know, every every junior team has its own. You talk about Brandon. Every every junior team has its own history. Some of them are longer. They have their own players that they look back on and, you know, they remember them. I mean, how many people talk about, you know, the great players that came through Brandon? You, you, you know, you, you think about, uh, you know, Ray Farrell who scored 108 goals, but you think about Brian Propp and Ray Allison and Lori Boschman and Brad McCrimmon and Ron Hextall. I mean, the number of players that have come through there that people remember, you know, they, they never forget because they, 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 you know, people not only become, uh, you know, aware of them and, and, and pay attention to them when they're in junior, but now they're paying attention once they're left. They kind of belong to you. And, you know, I, I remember going into Ramuski years ago when uh, Brad Richards and Vinny LeCavier were playing up there. And, you know, the, the building's packed. The building's packed. Ramuski ended up winning the, the Memorial Cup. LeCavier wasn't there in 2000. But, you know, to go in those rinks, and, and, and it's, it, it's the same just about everywhere, Dean. And and so to me, it, it, it reflects on the community and how much communities care about their junior teams and how important they are in the development of these young players. When it comes to college hockey, you're a little bit older, uh, you know, you, and, and the student body plays a big part in it uh, with respect to the support they get. Uh, you, you know, you talk about Ralph, Ralph Angostead Arena in, in Grand Forks. My, my, my favorite arena, and I lived in Ann Arbor for 12 years. I had season tickets, but Yost Ice Arena, I mean, it's, it's an old wooden arena. They, they put some modifications into it. But those teams uh, for Michigan were great. They won national championships. They had great players, and the building was packed. But more than that, they have this, the, the, the student cheering section. They're called the Children of Yost. And mm -hmm. I can tell you what, Dean. They are so engaged in the game and so involved and, 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 you know, it, like the, the anticipation, the excitement that comes by walking into the arena, hearing them play the fight songs and everything. And, and you know what? It's the same in Wisconsin. It's the same at Minnesota. Cornell, I don't know if you know what they do at Cornell. You know, they introduce the, they, they start the game and they start introducing the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, opening lineup right and everybody starts reading the paper 
<laughs> and then once the once the visiting lineup is uh, is announced, they take the the paper and they crumble it up, and then they announce uh, the Cornell Big Red starting lineup. You know, if you haven't seen it, you know it, it sounds like oh geez, what's that? But 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 it's so orchestrated, and and it's gone through the student body for decades. And it's fun to see these these environments. So I, I haven't come close to naming all, like some of the ones that are right there with all these other ones. But that, that, that's right off the top of my head what I what I like to what I like to enjoy. But when you have a good team and uh, your team is performing well, the community is behind it, and that makes it exciting. Uh, that's awesome. All right, let's get back to some uh, scouting. We'll try and sneak a couple more in here. Is there a checklist that you use when evaluating a player for the first time? And that comes to us from Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe, I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, Claude Gruel, he won a Stanley Cup as head coach of the Montreal Canadiens in 1969. He was an assistant coach for a number of years for other Stanley Cup teams. Long-time development coach, evaluator, scout. Here's what he told me. When I first started scouting, I was at a game in Ottawa with him. And we're sitting there. He, he said, Craig, he says, watch the guy that has the puck all the time. That's the good player. And I said, mm, that's pretty good advice, right? Like, you know, so you're watching for the puck. I remember I remember a couple of years ago, Logan Stankoven, who was drafted by Dallas, plays in Kamloops, one of the top scorers in the Western Hockey League. You're watching the game. And as you're watching, it's not so much if you have a checklist, you're just kind of watching. And you're watching guys make plays and you, you might not know them, but you're going, okay, wait a second, who, who just made that play? Oh, that's Stan Coven. Okay. Make a little check mark. Uh, yeah, play happens again. Oh, that's Stan Coven. Okay, another check mark. Well, now I always say this to players. Just do what you do best. You don't have to worry about the scouts finding you. You do what you do best, you will find their eyes and they will take notice. Trust me on that. And that's that's really what I how I try to start. I try to start with a global perspective about like, okay, let's just watch. Let's just watch and see like, you know, how play because that puck's gonna move to the right places, the puck's gonna be able to to get into areas where you can score, and good players are gonna be there a lot more often than the players that aren't there. That's just a fact. And and then you go from there. And 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 then the second part of that checklist now then is once you start to see and you identify, okay, yeah. Okay, what type of player he is. I think it's incredi- critically important to identify when you're trying to define what type of player is that. Is that an offensive winger? Is it a scoring winger? Is it a playmaking center? Is it a rushing defenseman? Is it a defensive defenseman? However you want to define players. If you're not understanding what a player's skill set lends itself to in terms of type of player, you can't evaluate the different skills that are necessary. I'll, I'll use football as an example. You know, when everybody, the combine and everybody says, you know, everybody gets enamored with the with the 40-yard time. Well, for a lineman, the 40-yard time mm-hmm. isn't as important as the shuffle. And for a wide receiver and a cornerback, yeah, your speed and your quickness are, are, are important. Well, it's the same thing with types of players. You can't evaluate them all on the same criteria. Obviously, you need a skill level that's at a, a basic level of the National Hockey League to be considered. But now to try to refine that and, and define it more and define it deeper and then to try to figure out where players need development, where you feel they can develop, it all starts from those premises. Number one, the good players are going to find your eyes. Number two is once they find your eyes, 
start to define what type of player they are, and then assess their skills and attributes for that type of player. All right, last one. We'll sneak this in really quickly. Do you watch, when you're going to watch a, a, a specific couple of guys, do you watch one player per shift, or are you watching multiple players per shift? You, you kind of mentioned you just watch the player who has the puck, but if you're going to lo- look at a guy, are you just zeroing on, on him the whole shift and isolating him? It, it depends. It, it really depends on, on the game. So just at the CHL Prospects game, so for, for an example, you know, you have all these really good uh, defenseman prospects and you have all these really good forward prospects. Well, to just say I'm just going to watch Jagger Furkus, uh, you know, obviously he might have the puck on his stick, but I'm also watching how those defensemen are playing. I'm watching, okay, Kevin Korchinski, how are you playing against Jagger Furkus? You know, a lot of times you don't get that opportunity with two high-end players, you know, going head-to-head. So you, you, you're watching it on, 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 on what, what I would call in, in, in two windows. You're watching Jagger Furkus and you're watching uh, Kevin Korchinski. How's he handle it? Did, did Jagger Furkus open him up or did Kevin Korchinski close him down? Did he force him into a worse shooting position or did he give up a better shooting position? They, they, they can go hand in hand. Sometimes, though, I go to a game and I, I might you might not have those opportunities. And so you do zero in on a player. And 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 there's times when when I'll just like in defensemen, a lot of times with defensemen, especially the, the players in the in the top part of the draft, top part of the draft for me is his first two rounds. So I, I have a checklist about, you know, how many plays they made under pressure, how many plays they completed under pressure. Like, like, you know, long before analytics came into play and we had completed passes, stretch passes, all that, right? I don't, how many puck touches players had? I remember going to a game, Ryan Ellis, I'll never forget it. I was with Bob Murray and Bob and I were sitting, Bob was with the uh, Anaheim Ducks and they had drafted a player, I forget what his name was, in the second round. And, and it was an afternoon game and we were together and... Uh, we were sitting and then we were going to another game. We went to grab something to eat and at dinner. But Bob says, he goes, what were you tracking there? I saw you tracking something. I said, well, Bob, you were a defenseman. You were great with the puck. I was really just tracking, you know, Ryan Ellis, how many puck touches he had, how many completed plays and he had. He goes, what was your number? I want to say the number was like 53 in the game, right? And he looked at me and he says, yeah, he goes, he has the puck an awful lot. He's pretty darn good, isn't he? He goes, the guy we drafted in the second round, he might not get 53 puck touches in the whole season. <laughs> so, you know, you might not be watching, like, you know, so Bob might not have been marking it, but he knew. He knew that it wasn't at a different level. So I try to, like, you know, and sometimes, and specifically when you're narrowing down players, I try to get really zeroed in and more narrow on, on, on the evaluation of what I'm evaluating. And that's just one example on a defenseman, but it certainly uh, uh, applies to a lot of different areas. Awesome stuff. As usual, Craig, thank you so much for the time. I know the viewers and the listeners uh, really love picking your brain. And we didn't give away all of our secrets for Duckman's domination, so that's a big plus, too. Have yourself a great weekend, Craig. Yes, you have a, yourself a great weekend, too. And you know what? We were secretive in 1998 when we thought we had enough centers and we tried to be clever. Well, I'll tell you what, we outsmarted ourselves. <laughs> Don't outsmart yourself. <laughs> no doubt. We'll try not to do that. Thanks, Craig. This is a serious message. Craig Button joins us on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports Hotline. 
become a scout and make money while providing prospects to the ultimate franchise hockey league. What you talking about, mister? Pay that man his money. I'm your huckleberry. Check out the details at www.uffsports.com. It's serious. I like it a lot. I said we got a winner. UFFS, you own the game. Awesome segment, and I apologize if we did not get to your question. This happens every time we do one of these. We never end up getting through all the questions, so uh, I do apologize for that. We will uh, do another one of these Craig's Councils uh, at the end of the season. That's usually how we wrap up uh, season uh, of Tracking the Draft. This is season three, episode 14. And by the way, I mentioned Duckman's Domination. You can get your own Duckman's Domination mug. Hmm. The tea just tastes so much better with a prospect-filled mug. Uh, Just head to uffsports.com, click on hockey, and then you can shop your heart's content. There's a lot of really great brands uh, throughout UFF sports, but uh, specifically on UFHL. Also, I'm a little partial to UFLB as I'm the head of baseball for that one. So check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, We do have a lot of fun with it, and you can join in on the fun as well. Thank you once again to uh, Craig Button for his time, his passion, his knowledge, his stories, and his tips, and also for his work with Duckman's Domination and a high-level scouting of which my wife owns, uh, so it's a family affair. Also, thanks to you, the listener, the viewer, uh, for sending in your questions, for participating in the show, and most importantly, for taking in the product. We love it. Please give us a like wherever you're watching. Subscribe. Check us out on Twitch at Ultimate Fantasy Sports. We're all over the place these days, and it is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. We'll get back to our regular scheduled programming with Craig as we track towards the 2022 draft and more. This is where the stars of tomorrow are discovered and discussed. Have a great weekend, everybody.